Hello and welcome back. After a two-week hiatus, this is the Gig Guide to Life podcast, the podcast exposing our guests' dirty musical laundry. I'm your host, Will Stevenson. I'm a music fanatic, poet and a rapper. My guests this week are the excellent producer duo One Bit, whose brand new track, Love You Soul, is out now. They were really, really lovely and put up with Zoom being a total dick at the beginning of the recording. So if you like the podcast, please go and give that a stream on all major music platforms. We had a really insightful chat and they did some quite personal dirt on the worst band they've ever seen live. So stay tuned to find that out. I'll be back at the end with some more information about the rest of the series. But for now, sit back and relax. Listen to Gig Guide to Life, episode nine with one bit. But yeah, nice one. Thanks for your patience, guys, and welcome, sort of, to the podcast. Um, so yeah, welcome one bit to the Good Guy to Life podcast. Um, this is the podcast all about exposing your dirtiest musical laundry and figuring out what is really behind the image, so to speak. So it's an interesting one with you guys, because you're the first producer duo that we've had on the podcast, um, rather than being up front in the, you know, in the, in the, in the front of the band. Um, and what I found interesting um, watching your career for a while now is um, some of the names you've worked with recently, especially um, so going from Noah Cyrus for the Breakthrough single and now Mel C. Um, and I guess what I was wondering to start is with the, the new Mel C track, uh, In and Out of Love, I felt a bit of Swedish pop influence in there. Um, so I just wonder if you guys could sort of talk about what you were listening to at the time, what, you know, how it got made and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a bit, it was, it was mainly trying to keep it really clean, which I think some of that Swedish stuff, it was, um, it was a really interesting track because obviously everyone knows Mel from the Spice Girls. They've just come off a big world tour. Um, and it was trying to find something that really sat for her and made sense, especially now. And it's that kind of trying to evolve it, but keep it sort of right for the fan base and just make something that's accessible and fun, but also not trying too hard. Cause I think you can be, um, I don't know, you can you can go a bit far down the route of just trying to do something that's like super, super fresh and different and sort of miss the mark a bit. And so it was like trying to have some of that classic sort of, I don't know, just pop influence in it. And that hence a sort of bit of a disco vibe, um, like sort of like real bass sound in there. And I'm, I'm loving all the like uh, parcels and Frank Moody and the sort of like new wave synthy disco stuff. So getting a bit of that influence in there and... Yeah, just trying to be a bit like clean and bold with the production and um, have fun with it as well. Yeah, I definitely think it's a really refreshing sound because we've been in the sort of wave of, of trap and I've got a lot of time for trap, I've got a lot of love for trap, but we've been in that for quite a while now with people like Taylor Swift and Katy Perry really embracing that sound a couple of years ago. And um, now obviously Taylor Swift released her new uh, very folky new new record and, and moving away from that really overproduced sound it's something a little bit more like you say clean and smooth and i really enjoyed what you guys did with the track with melcy i thought it was quite a surprising turn for her as well oh, nice yeah it's, it's it's always a scary one just trying to like pull out elements and see how many yeah. how much you can make like a few things work and still sound like a full production you just keep like muting things until you're left with absolutely nothing and then just try and put one thing back in um yeah definitely no, that's brilliant. So um, as we've, we've kicked off right into the most recent thing that you guys have done, so I was wondering if we could take it back to the beginning of, you both met at Liverpool um, Universities, is this right? Yeah, we mm. went to Lippo, which is sort of like Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts up there. 
Paul um, McCartney's uni. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. It was really nice sort of like refreshing sort of change where they sort of bring in... Uh, it's like it has a whole sort of industry effectively. So you've got like artists, mm. producers, managers. So it's sort of like this little hub within itself. Liverpool's such a great city as well, especially when we were up there. Um, it's, it changes so much every time I go back now. Yeah, I'm it's baffled mad. by what's going on. But yeah, it just felt really vibrant and exciting. And there was just so much music. Um, and it was just sort of being surrounded by everyone was in a band. There was a gig going on every night. Um, and we were just in the studio all day, every day. It's kind of like we've just continued that <laughs> for the rest of our lives now. Uh, so did you get did you get put together for like a task or did you just end up together like out of out of uni and you know messing about or I don't think we even worked together. No. Well we we did some some stuff outside of like uni work together. Um yeah. in the second year. I think I maybe did like a mix for a dance tune that you were making at the time yeah there was sort of like a lot of cross-passing around things so like outside of like all of the uni work there was because we had access to studios you'd sort of be trying to grab bands and work on projects and so joe was a lot better at mixing than i ever was so i used to hand him all my things to make him sound better um and uh yeah then the third year we ended up living together and basically had like four producers just sort of like loads of setups in one big house and then realized no one's going to give us a job out of the end of it um, the whole sort of traditional route in had changed quite dramatically. Like all of the big studios seemed to be closing down um, or not not all of them, but like a huge amount. Like the I big... mean, the amount of people trying to work at those big studios just meant that like your chances were insanely slim and you had to do so much work for, for nothing for other people. Yeah, and that sort of, um, I guess, like, T-boy route, which was the sort of traditional way in where you'd go and make someone tea for six months and then you'd be asked to stand behind a desk and then you might be able to mix something and do a bit more and sort of get in just seemed really, really sort of, like, not possible. Um, and so we, we just decided to sort of jump in, take a load of the bands that we did, that we were working with, uh, move down to, like, a big country house just outside of London in a place called, well, just outside of Royston. It was sort of, we literally drew a circle around London and went, how far out do we have to go before we can afford something? Um, and just, yeah. Back stayed. to the Midlands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then just stayed in that place. Well, we were out there for seven years. And that's where we did like sort of, yeah, most of our stuff sort of in the, yeah. So that's come from quite a naturally um, collaborative background. So how have you found as you've progressed through the industry doing things like PRS, like Song Camp, where it's the complete opposite, where you're put together with, you know total strangers in a room and told we want you to make a hit single has that been something that's fueled your creativity or is it have you found it a little bit difficult i think sometimes uh when you're just put in a room with a bunch of new people and given like four hours to make a song yeah. it can be really inspiring because it just means there's no filter and so it's like mm. the, the first idea that comes out is the one that goes in because you just don't have time to play around with so many different things um it's definitely a different idea. It's a it's very like, different idea, and it, it, it's really fun if you embrace it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it takes a lot of getting used to. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I remember just even just the idea of being able to turn around something that was listenable in four hours uh-huh. um, is <laughs> is quite a shock to the system. It's but a then very now, different mindset. Yeah, it. now it just seems sort of so ingrained in what you do you're like you, it, it, it's that thing yeah where you you sort of lose all of the fluff and you just go straight for the key elements and so it, mm. it does make you sort of hone in um just straight into what's important i guess um 
which is yeah, it's 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 very different. It does mean you don't get the time to sort of really hone ideas. Um, someone, <laughs> someone ringing our studio door. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, does makes makes the thing so you don't you don't really get to sort of go in and really develop sort of thoughts. Um, yeah. You don't get to sort of. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's there's it's a it's a it's a different route to to songwriting. Um, yeah, definitely. It, it, it's you know it, you could call in and four hours later come out with gold and at the same time in a collaboration with someone that you've known your entire life maybe it'll take four weeks to get something the same but also sometimes you, you know maybe it'll be a waste of four hours i think there's a there's a bit of snobbiness isn't there a bit of sneeriness around these sort of camps but at the end of the day i think a lot of the time they come out with some really really good genes and i think a lot of people forget that that's the end goal of songwriting right is to create a good song no matter how how we get there yeah no absolutely yeah it, there's definitely been some over the years been some sort of yeah snobbiness as you say like um i think a lot of that maybe comes from just like the way that it's done because often it's made mm. it, the camps are sort of it's like owned by someone else that's doing a thing that get, and it feels like there's cuts on cuts on people it sort of changes it into a bit more of a business idea than what to everyone that got involved in it wanted to do it for the love i guess um but yeah like like you say it's um it's it's definitely a great way of getting a lot of material really quickly and you sort of can filter through it and if if you look at if you're working on album projects and stuff it's it's super exciting and and half the time people will come in with like a really really strong concept a really like like vivid idea or a sound or a sonic and then you can really work around that and do it in a place where there's like just it's it's really exciting there's i guess the competition between rooms is mm. is a real mad thing where you sort of walk out and then you hear someone else making something that's in like 30 seconds sounds wicked and you're like shit oh, i've got to go back like <laughs> let's go figure this out no we need to do better and there's this kind of like yeah i don't know yeah it levels people up and i know like yeah. elton john always used to write his songs super quickly as well and it's it's definitely I think he worked said, yeah, for a lot of people was it, if he didn't write a song in 10 minutes he wouldn't bother and so, wow, that's it's one of them things. I just think that's depressing. Like, it's never <laughs> have that level of talent, like, it's just not going to happen. To be fair, he didn't have to do the lyrics. So, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, that, that does it. help. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Um, so, as we move forward again, who has been your your number one collaborator so far? That's, that's been a personal goal, maybe not necessarily that you've come away with the final product that you enjoy the most, but you've enjoyed the collaborative process. There's been a few few sort of standout people we've worked with, I guess. Um, I remember working with Will Hurd mm. being amazing, like so inspiring, just one of the most talented people I think I've ever met, but also like just the energy he brings to the room. He's just running around like uh, in our studio, we always have loads of instruments set up everywhere. And him just running around playing every instrument and just us running around after him trying to capture it all and put it together into like a, a song. It definitely felt like you experience him making. <laughs> yeah. Your job is to sort of hard. Try to capture it in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. he was kick, yeah. kicking himself around the floor in circles at one point playing guitar. Uh, but it sounded sick. And I was like, how are you playing guitar whilst spinning around on the floor? <laughs> like, and I was like, it was cool. Yeah, it's For no sounds- reason either. There's no audience there. No, no. Just doing it. It. It's just, just the process. Yeah, some people are just innately talented to a point yeah. which is just infectiously exciting. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly that. I guess yeah. There's 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 he he always stands out. There's there's some of the ones for me that uh, 
sort of like weirdest, uh, uh, or sort of, I guess, most exciting, uh, but sort of took me off guard a little bit. Where there was mm. a few years ago, we worked with a girl called Mayday that um, she'd been on this Jack Wobb track called Fade that we just happened to be listening to for ages and ages and ages. Like it's um, literally every morning we, we had that track on. Just, yeah, just, just one of those tunes of that you were like, you know what, yeah, yeah. that is gold. And then just hadn't really thought about it. She'd rocked up, had sort of forgotten that she'd done this track and then start singing and, and you know, oh God, you're like that. Oh, it just like connects <laughs> all of these things that then you start wigging out. And you're like, oh, just really, yeah. It's um, like really exciting having those moments where it connects to something that you really, really care about. And then you realise that you're now part of the next one. And mm. um, mm. that's quite cool. Remember Sam Henshaw as well being pretty exceptional yeah. just like everything yeah. that he sings like you you sing one thing at him and he sings it back and it's just you believe it and it just sounds amazing uh that's just so inspiring to to work with people who just naturally sound incredible yeah definitely i think following on from what you just said about um creating the next one has, has that informed sort of the decision to move into starting a label yeah i think i think that <laughs> That's, I get, yeah, trying to think how to work this. There's, there's so much that goes into that. Um, yeah. I think a lot yeah, of that... Yeah, because this, this it seems like a big undertaking, especially right now. Yeah. yeah. You know, you guys are still producing records and like it's, it's not taking a back seat to that. But you thought, well, I'm sure we could do a label as well. You know, so yeah. it seems like a big commitment. It, it's, it, it definitely was a big decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of stemmed from... Um, we've been in the industry for a while. We've done our own things. Mm. We've obviously got our projects in the route to get things out. Obviously, we, we've been writing about 200, 250 tracks a year for forever. Um, and then, so th- if you think of that, and then maybe we have eight or nine tracks released a year, you're mm. like, well, the sort of filtering process of that is insanely high. And so, but there, there are things that exist within that that I think definitely have value to be out there and would be like of interest to a lot of people and maybe able to hold some sort of like emotional weight for them, but maybe didn't make, whether it was not financial sense, whether it was like timing sense, whether it was for whatever reason didn't get there. And so I think we just wanted to sort of put ourselves in a position where we were the gatekeepers. Um, And so if we believe with the artist that we're working with or the writer that we're working with, that it's something that deserves to see the light of day, even if we're not aiming for a top 10, which is often the sort of criteria of like a big label where they're like, well, it either has to be top or we're not putting it out. Mm. Then we were like, I think we just want to be able to, yeah, give stuff the space to breathe and, and sort of back the things that we believe in. Um, and you can love it for a, for a different reason. It doesn't have to be a big commercial success to make sense for us to want to put it out. And that's not to say it's not profitable. Um, it's just just that it doesn't it's like that's not the goal um Mm. i guess the whole lockdown thing was quite eye-opening and it sort of in a lot of ways for a lot of different people really sort of dramatically made you realize what was important um and and it's not necessarily that important for us to be able to get someone else to believe in a track to let it go out we were like if Mm. we believe in it why don't we put it out and so it's sort of putting your money where your mouth is yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they say, well, we don't care about top ten, and then it's you know number of two hundred and fifty-four, and you think maybe I care a little bit about the top ten. You know, no, that's beautiful. I think that that moves us nicely onto um onto the format, which is what 
what was the first thing that inspired you both individually, I suppose, um, to get into music? You know, who was, who was the first big artist that you, you thought, this is me? Um, I mean, it's probably like the, the first gig I went to was Sum 41 <laughs> in the Nottingham Ice Arena uh, when I was about 12 years old. And I, I remember watching that and just being fixated on the drummer and just yeah. being like, I want to do that. I don't know why I just had this like massive urge to, to do that. And I, I was playing like, I played recorder <laughs> when I was like five and then I played clarinet uh, after that. And I, I was always musical and my dad was a, a bit musical as well. But yeah, just from there, I wanted a drum kit. And then so uh, it's my birthday not long after that. And I got a drum kit for my birthday, which is amazing. Uh, and then so ever since that, I've, I was in bands, basically. Just I, I found friends who owned a guitar or could manage to borrow a guitar and having those sort of uh, brilliant 12, 13-year-old band practices in a cellar where I've got newspapers on the drum kits and an yep. acoustic guitar standing over it trying to be heard and people singing, like, <laughs> Blink-182 songs. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, from that it progressed into, like, wanting to record those bands I was in, getting into the technology side of it, and then that ended up with me sort of collaborating with other friends making, like, um, projects where I was inspired by people like Timberland and Mark Ronson and all that sort of thing uh, to then going more dance music focused throughout uni and onwards basically that was what it. about that was you? First... <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's, coming, he's coming with the whole story yeah, uh, yeah I guess um, sort of not too dissimilar like it always been sort of I guess, sort of, like, into the music, playing, sort of... Um, I, I grew up playing cello since I was about four, sort of. Um, and, rock and roll. Yeah, it, which yeah. is super, super rock and roll, if, <laughs> if anyone... Uh, anyone Although, yeah. I would say a cello is a much more useful instrument to be able to play now than a clarinet. <laughs> or a recorder. <laughs> or a recorder. There's no, there's no, sort of, like, clear directions to go and gig with a recorder. No, there's not many songs um, we're writing you, like, you know what this needs clarinet <laughs> i say yeah there was a a real sort of formative early gig for me uh it was like a wake stock um i remember uh, going out and it was the first time i'd seen like live electronic dance music so it was like uh it was groove armada and pendulum were playing and it was just just epic i don't know just like from like the dubby brass stuff in the yeah. groove armada to just was it pendulum as a full band set or was it before they evolved into that yeah, it was it was sort of very early yeah. full band. That was that was a big moment for me. I know as well personally because like you thought I, I was quite similar in that I was very into rock music growing up, and then you saw this band playing, you know, dance music with guitars and with live drums. And you think, wow, like that is pure cross boundary, cross genre sort of entertainment as well. And as someone that sort of very much was into the sonic of things, yeah. and like yeah. on the producer side, I was like, oh, there's a thing that I can that like. Not not only sounds insane, but it's sort of like there's it makes sense. It sort of links the band and the production, but in a format that's just connected like hugely with me. And then from that point on, then it was just like, yeah, try and again like try try and replicate some of that poorly. That's such a hard thing to try and replicate early <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> but yeah. So who was who was the 
who's the best band that you've ever seen live? Someone that you maybe want to emulate? It's a, a tough one. Or DJ, you know. Mm. I don't know. Best band. It is it is it's super tough. I mean that like that that first pendulum gig just really knocked me. So has like a big connection. I have a really weird one that we were talking about this before we came on. Um and I was like, one of the best things I've seen in such a long while, <laughs> and it's a rogue thing, was Tenacious D. Ah, <laughs> I saw them at O2 Arena and I was like it was again. I don't know if I'm just like excited by like slightly different format things. Yeah. But I, I haven't seen like energy in a room like that in a, in a super long time. With like ten thousand. Oh, yeah. Is this a recent one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, it blows my mind that they can still sell out the arena. No, like, no, no offense to them whatsoever. I really like the first two records, but it's massive. It's. It was. I sort of turned up being like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's going to be a bit of fun, and came away just being yeah. like, what have I experienced? Um, and it was just, yeah, it was. Just, it was one of those times where I was like, I don't know. There was no. There yeah. was no pretense around it. There was no like has yeah. to be cool. It was just like, yeah, really, really like. I guess that's the point for me of 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 being out and live is just being around just a really fun, safe environment where you're just like everyone's having a wicked time, and that that connected um, in a really weird way. It's definitely not sort of like. The key musical, <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought Those the fact that he can socials. he can tour a stage which has two massive dicks on it around the world mm-hmm. is pretty impressive. Yeah, the thought of like these <laughs> big lorries with just massive dicks in them driving around the world just for that is is good. But um, I remember like definitely the Prodigy when I was growing up being like a standout gig, um, and it's pretty cool now that our managers managed the prodigy mm. um yeah that's you know you've made it then <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was definitely like a, a pinch me moment but yeah like their their live show was just unbelievable yeah absolutely and contrastly what's the worst thing you've ever seen if you don't mind exposing it oh, i know what it is <laughs> i know exactly what you're getting at as well there's no politics on this show um, be it's really horrible <laughs> Um, mate <laughs> <laughs> well yeah why not I think well it wasn't it wasn't that bad oh it has never been the worst <laughs> I'm trying to think oh, I'm really setting this up awfully now no I think it, it was yeah it was it has to have been a gig at Tea in the Park where I saw um, I, I really like so many of their tunes but there was a Clean Bandit show um, and it it was just it was sort of like post Rather Be but pre sort of any big anything else sort of set up yeah yeah um, and it was sort of this thing where they came out and it just didn't work. And I don't yeah, know how yeah. or why. And it, Maybe it was part just, of the, like, the Scottish crowd as well. Yeah, and it them. was maybe the time of the day. And it was, the, it was, there was, I think the football was on, like the World Cup was on at the time. Maybe might even been on at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it was just this odd setup. And I remember a bunch of people just being like, oh, no, this is like... It just didn't work. I don't know it what. Fully, it fully makes such a difference, the time, especially at festivals. Like, I remember, um, when was it? Two or three years ago, and it was Little Sims at Parklife, and that is not the crowd for Little Sims. And it was like, she was the first person on the main stage to perform to like 50 people or something. And you think that they have the potential to put on such an amazing show, and I know they do. It's just, yeah. it's just and I think it's, right it's such a two-way thing as well, isn't it? It's like, yeah. the, the performer's never going to have like put on the show of their life if the crowd are just not engaging yeah, yeah, 11 a.m. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, it's definitely a two-way thing. What about you? Not wriggling out of it that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. That's definitely the one that we've we've talked about most since. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I have a thing that tops that. <laughs> nah. We were both there. Nah, okay, it's yeah. a political answer. I'll Brilliant. take it. I'll take it. All right. How about um, the strangest thing that you've ever seen at a live music or festival? It doesn't have to be on stage either. Just the weirdest thing that you've that you can remember seeing. Uh, I remember when I was watching Fallout Boy at Leeds Festival when I was growing up and for some reason um, it started being a thing where everyone started pissing in bottles and throwing them at the other side of the audience uh, and yeah. at the band on stage oh, as well. That's a proper Leeds moment. That, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so that was, that was definitely unusual and yeah the they ended up like the band all ended up getting hit with bottles of piss and going off stage and they just they just left they just gave up <laughs> and that wow, was that right, was a gig so that's that's probably up there with some of the weirdest thing i've experienced during the show <laughs> were you a big fallout boy fan were you looking forward to it uh i wasn't a massive fallout boy fan but I was, <laughs> no i was pissing in the bottles <laughs> um, <laughs> it was me that got him off <laughs> But as like a lot of my mates were really big Fallout Boy fans uh, at the time, and yeah, I think they were a bit, bit gutted about it. But yeah, uh, and everyone ended up being covered in piss, so no one yeah, had no, no, no one <laughs> no, no one left happy. <laughs> Strange times. I don't think that would happen now. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. It always happens. Doesn't it? There's always a piss thrower. <laughs> um, Not a whole field though. You can't yeah, no, field, no, no. Yeah, like, you're talking like. Yeah. Well, because I think there were a lot of empty bottles and bottles of drinks mixed in there as well. But yeah, it was you got like thousands of bottles. Like anyone who had anything <laughs> in their they, hands. They don't really big... sell bottles now at festivals, do they? It's just the cups. Do you think? Yeah, that, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's probably that. Yeah. that <laughs> the great why. pissing of two thousand and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think. I think mine was more sort of like a strange slash epic moment. I, I, it was like. Can't remember when it was, but um, it was sort of one of these. I think it was like snow bombing or like something like that. I was definitely I was up a ski slope, and Pete Doherty was playing, um, and he was he was having a bit of a hard time standing, um, as he sometimes does. And it sort of just got to the point where everyone was like, "Yeah, cool, wicked, gonna start throwing snowballs and stuff." He finished the gig. I think he'd lobbed a guitar at the sound guy or something. <laughs> it was sort of like a proper rock and roll moment where you're like, "Actually, you know what? I'm I'm on board with this." <laughs> And then a bunch of people started throwing snowballs. He comes, stands at the front of the stage, arms out. He sort of, like, stands really precariously right on the edge. Someone lobbed a snowball from miles away. He just put his drink out, caught it in his right hand, crushed it into his drink, necked it, swore at everyone and walked off. And I was like, how has he managed to do that? <laughs> like, at that point, from, yeah, 10,000 people being like, ooh, to just... Loving him <laughs> within Slow like clap. one moment, it was yeah. just like, yeah, brilliant. That's pretty. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair play. I like that one. That's that's pretty damn impressive. What is the gig one bit that you have looked forward to the most, and did it live up to it? Oh, that's <laughs> that is an easy answer for me. <laughs> Which one's that? The the one in Liverpool where so we were on a lineup with um, Fat Boy Slim and Clean Bandit. Later down the line, once they had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of other success, you told them how of, to perform. A lot of uh, good live shows under their belt, but like, yeah, we're you know, it's quite a big show, yeah, yeah, for us being on a lineup with that. And um, it was in like a massive venue, and they'd set up like 
uh, rides and things, and I don't know, it was like... Yeah, it was, it was in, in, I can't remember what it's called, but down, it was in Liverpool, down on the docks in that big arena. But that, yeah, everything was indoors. So it was like, yeah, yeah just like, it was, it was like a fairground slash main stage gig inside. Yeah. That was pretty cool. And I think we, nice. was it My Way had just come out or was about to come out? Or something mm. like that? It, was, it was a really exciting time for us as yeah. an artist as well. Um, and so we're sat backstage it's like cool. We're just going over our our DJ set, making sure that everything's like looking good. We got the tracks we want to play, and then we get a knock on the door, just saying, "So, um, just you know, things are running a little bit behind. So you're gonna go on stage ten minutes later." Like, cool. No worries, yeah. yeah, fine. Cool. Yeah, twenty minutes later. <laughs> uh, and then I think there's maybe another knock on the door, just being like. Yeah, it's still like still going on the whatever's happening before, oh, no. and then that just kept yeah, it just kept going happening. on. I think we had what we ended. We did. We did make it on stage. Yeah, we went on for for I think eight minutes <laughs> <laughs> because it was like it was like nothing else can move. This is the three slot time. Literally smashed three songs out. Went thanks, cheers, bye. Walked off and was like. Goes down as the highest paid gig in history. song. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was pounds per minute. Yeah, yeah you couldn't. Sky, yeah. You couldn't have paid me enough money to like want to be on stage for that little time. Like, it was yeah, it was gutting because it was such... such the crowd was so up for it as well. Which yeah, is like, yeah, yeah. That. Wow. <laughs> Fair play. Yeah, that's hard to top. What is going back? Um, your first memory of playing together live, and how was that? Our first one together would have been... As, as a duo, yeah. Yeah, it would have been Sound City, Liverpool, yeah. when we were doing it all live, just two of us. Um, it was terrifying, quite <laughs> frankly, because like, it's one of those early gigs where you're like, yeah, yeah, cool. We, we sort it's of a big brought... first gig as well, Sound <laughs> we, City. Yeah. Decent and, size festival. And we'd managed somehow to fill the whole audience with basically just label A&Rs, mm-hmm. so that made it just... <laughs> Horrifying. Well, Label A and R's and a few of our like, yeah. uni mates who were just there, like, Way! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was it was actually a really good gig because we had so many. We had yeah, it, being in Liverpool, we had a load of mates around us. Had a wicked front house guy, a guy called Lee McMahon's came in and sorted that all out. Just a bunch of hands to help. But it's one of those where you turn up with like a van's load of stuff, but no one to help you really set up. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah. it's on stage, we're doing our own our, in-ear monitors. Our setup then as well, it was ridiculous. So we had a laptop each, which we're like, we're trying to synchronise the laptops together, but it was a few years ago when laptops weren't quite as good and it was such a sketchy setup where if like <laughs> one cable got knocked, the whole show would have gone down. Um, uh, which definitely put a bit of pressure on. And it definitely has had gone wrong and did yeah. go wrong since. But yeah, that was it was a good one. It, it was actually it was quite quite a fun gig in the yeah, end. But um, yeah, it, it, it made you realise that you get get some like playback techs. Yeah. Or like yeah, it's not nice it's a, to do it. But it's yourself. a hard genre to do compared to like yeah, with two people always well. being in bands. You know, you turn up with a guitar or a drum kit and you plug it in, put some mics in it, whatever, yeah. and you know, like being a drummer in a band, you can get away with a lot. <laughs> like, if if you forget the song, doesn't really matter as long as you're playing in time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with yeah. with the live setup that we were doing, like you don't have that luxury at all. Like if you don't hit the right note on a keyboard or something, it it sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. So uh, definitely a lot more pressure on than that. Yeah, that was good. It was a good first good moment. First though, actually, yeah. I'm glad it went all right. What is the 
What's the most recent thing that you guys went to, uh, either collectively or individually, before before lockdown? I started asking this question in the first few episodes that we did before lockdown even happened, and people were like, oh yeah, I went last week to go see blah blah. blah. And now it's like, do you remember five months ago when live music was the thing? <laughs> <laughs> what was the last yeah. gig we went yeah. to see? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, it, it probably was um, some mates of ours called Cheap Cuts mm. who did a wicked, wicked tune uh, with Pete Wentz recently. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, circling back is the follow-up. Yeah, yeah. It's, got, it, it's, it's, like, it's like it's like Fatboy Slim coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it's really cool. Um, and that was... I can't remember what the venue's called. The social? Yeah, the social. Um, it's it's where like uh, basement jacks used to do rooty and stuff. So it's like pretty cool heritage and them coming back and doing a basement jacksy show. That was it was really cool. Just yeah. like nice vibe, lot of mates around. So yeah, that was it was a it was a good gig, but that was a long while ago now, yeah. 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 Ages. Yeah. Scary. Scary how long. Do you have any um before we as we start to wrap up, do you have any thoughts about where live music's gonna be this time next year? Do you think we'll be back in festival seasons? Yeah, it's so oh, hard to know, isn't horrible. it? It's a horrible question. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I, I mean I'd love I'd love for us to be back in festival season. Yeah. Um at the moment I can't see it happening. Like hopefully next year. Um unless unless yeah, unless something comes through with like a pretty solid straight up cure, I just can't see them letting eighty thousand people come together in a mass gathering. Yeah. It's as and it's it's super sad because it's it's like all our mates, friends, everyone that's like has really sort of like cleaned out an industry. My um, girlfriend works at the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, so it'd be nice really? for her if there were <laughs> shows again as well. So she could keep a job. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think we're going to start seeing stuff coming back in certain ways, like especially in sort of gigs. Like there, like there are some gigs happening now. Mm-hmm. Stuff starting. Yeah, I've seen to get a few like festivals where there's social distancing, the drive-in yeah, gigs, yeah, and the drive-in thing was interesting. I was I was quite up for that, and then they all they all got cancelled. <laughs> so they, I don't think they sold enough tickets. They said it was something to do with the safety guidelines, but it's it's just yeah, super yeah. difficult. Like it's fine before anyone's had like three beers, and then after three beers, then it's yeah. like yeah. the whole point of like. A festival is supposed to be like an escape mm-hmm. um and just this completely free like once you're in the gates you're in the gates and then yeah yeah and that i think it kind of removing that and being like and oh, now you've got to be sensible is it sort of like negates yeah, yeah. the idea of it a bit um yeah but yeah look i'd love i'd love for stuff to start coming back but um yeah as it stands it just is looking a bit bit bleak yeah. which is have you guys been considering doing like i know it's tonight actually uh the streets are doing a live stream gig for example and they've seen a few of those sort of things or even on patreon you know zoom yeah, yeah. platforms you sort of consider doing anything like that yeah we've got we've got some ideas to 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 put some bits out it's i think for us it's been a sort of case of sitting and watching for a little yeah, bit yeah. we didn't want to jump in too early um We've also had like hell a lot, hell of a lot on our plate with the label and new release and setup and um, and so that's um, yeah that's kind of taken our time at the moment. But yeah, it's definitely something that we sort of want to want to look into. It's an interesting like line of um, we don't want to do it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, and I want to do it for a reason mm-hmm. and something that sort of like makes sense and, mm-hmm. and is sort of sustainable. Um, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting thing because it's it's almost designed to like replace a gig, I guess. But like, actually, weirdly, it's sort of it's a completely different audience to the people that would be at your gig in a lot of ways, um, and so it's like it's interesting. It's it's a more inclusive audience, isn't it? Because people can access from all over the world. Yeah. There's no limit to um, 
you know, you have to be in Manchester or whatever at this time. And like the fat boy slim one has always been really good. Like I think he's done that very well. But mm. yeah, it's, it's it's the thing that I think if we're doing it, we want to make sure we do it well. Do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a that's a lovely place to to wind up on as well. So, as just as we begin to wrap up, have you got anything you want to plug? We've got the Mel C tune. You're in the studio now. Can we expect any new new stuff anytime soon? Yeah, well, we just popped out our next one bit single, which is called "Love You So." Um, yep, yep. It's sampling an old Sandra Richardson tune, which was um, Cassius did a thing with it a while back. It's a pretty classic vocal. Um, sort of really excited about that. It's sort of tipping the feel good, happy summer vibe, which is trying to get over all of the dreariness that's been going on this year. Um, Spinning it in, the, in your kitchen. Yeah, and it's a, yeah. Nice, it's a nice hot weekend as well. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's perfect it's a good for that. One, good one, yeah, yeah we're, we're really excited about that. It just came out. Yeah, and then, yeah, we've got a whole bunch of stuff in, in the mix. Um, not tons that we can announce right now, but, like, yeah, just some really exciting collaborations and bits and pieces. Um, but now we're in in front of the label. There's going to be a whole bunch of things coming out at a much sort of like higher frequency, which is like super exciting from our end. Beautiful. Uh, where can we catch you on socials? So it's all at One Bit Music across everything. Ooh. There we go. Lovely stuff. One Bit. Thank you very much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for having us. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Man. Good one, guys. Cheers. That was the excellent one bit. Now there's just one episode left in series one of Gig Guide to Life. I hope you've enjoyed the series so far. That'll be out next Monday, but fear not, we will be back with season two before you know it. Gig Guide to Life was produced, edited and presented by Will Stevenson. You can follow me on Instagram at 2JArt, T-W-O-G-A-Y Art. Thanks to Shane from WMA. Thanks to One Bit for taking part and Ellie Stevenson for the artwork. As ever, if you enjoyed today's chat, please stream One Bit's music and give the show five stars on the podcast platform of your choice. I'll be back next Monday. Until then, stay safe and have a great week. Cheers. Bye.